You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right, let's give a big round of applause for the moms. All right. Great being with you. I just want to say happy Mother's Day to all you bio moms, all you adoptive moms, all of you moms who serve perhaps in a mentor role, uh, spiritual moms, and bonus moms. Some people call them stepmoms. I like to call them bonus moms. Uh, so uh, happy Mother's Day to all of you. Um, you know, um, it was funny, uh, last night I was talking with my kids and my kid said to me, you know, hey, dad, uh, you know, let's make sure we have a good Mother's Day. What have you done to prepare for that? And I said, well, the better question would be is what did you do to prepare for that? Uh, so, um, but I, uh, I've already texted my mom and we're set up today to celebrate my wife as well. And uh, with my wife, I'm looking forward to just spending time with her. Many of you ladies perhaps had the opportunity to go to the uh, spring tea yesterday. Got to hear her heart too about how we're, um, uh, uh, we've adopted and done fostering and whatnot. And uh, we have a wonderful family. And motherhood is a great thing to celebrate. And the Bible says, honor your father and your mother so that it may go well with you in the land. And so listen to this. That is the command of Scripture, and it's a national blessing. So our society is built on good families, a mother and a father. And we can't have a strong country without having uh, strong families. Um, so today, we honor mothers today in all sorts of uh, seasons of life. And uh, for me specifically, I'm going to enjoy m- spending time with my mom just in a uh, June, I'm going to spend almost a week together uh, with my mom, five days in the White Mountains. I'll be on a study break, working on some writing projects and teaching series for the upcoming ministry year. My mom is a writer. She's an artist. Uh, so I, I look forward to spending time with her. I hope you spend time with your mom or uh, encourage other moms, uh, mentor moms, spiritual moms, bio moms, adoptive moms, and whatnot. Uh, so anyway, let me pray for us, and we're going to get started in today's message. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the, the uh, powerful picture that you give us, uh, Lord, of a, a husband and a wife, a father, a mother. Thank you, Lord, uh, for that. We pray for blessings on all the moms here today. Uh, we thank you for your work in our lives. We come to you now and ask for assistance, illumination of the mind, openness of the heart, uh, to hear the truths in your word, uh, whatever is correct and clear, may it, might it be amplified, whatever is foggy or uncertain, Lord, might it be dismissed uh, from what I teach today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Today, I want to talk to you about a controversial series that I'm calling uh, Censorship, Cancel Culture, and Jesus. Uh, we, it's no doubt we live in a highly censored society. Um, the big tech giants, Google, Facebook, Twitter, uh, all of these things, uh, they are portraying themselves as what I would call as public forums. A public forum is a place where anybody can go and post their ideas, views, and ideas and write it down or have it recorded. However, uh, YouTube uh, has been charged with, uh, from, at a Supreme Court level, of censoring. Uh, anything from like the Ten Commandments to whatever be the case, uh, there are certain Judeo-Christian values and ideas that are completely found uh, offensive. And so right now within big tech, there's a, an incredible amount of censorship that is going on. 
Um, even so much that the Department of Homeland Security has launched a new board called the Disinformation Board to try to help monitor some of this stuff. Um, this is very interesting to me as a Christian because um, now the government is being involved in either managing or censoring information. Uh, the vast majority of people in the world are accessing platforms such as Google. The vast majority of people of our world are finding their information through Google. The problem is, is from my perspective, is that there's an incredible deal of, uh, of censoring that is going on, and uh, the ideas that are found within our scripture, what's been called the Judeo-Christian values, uh, are being labeled as offensive or even hate speech. Um, what we're going to look at over the next three weeks is the life of Jesus and see how he was censored, how he was canceled, and yet he stands strong. And then disciples and people that are following Jesus have to make a decision. Um, freedom of speech is a very, very important uh, issue in our culture, especially as Christians. Um, Freedom of speech, it's in our First Amendment. I do not think that these big tech companies are violating our First Amendment. They are uh, at their private entities. They are not the government. Um, however, uh, they are pos posturing themselves as, a, as a, a public forum, but they are acting like publishers. Publishers are, say, Chicago Tribune, Arizona uh, Gazette, they can censor and select what articles come in and then they uh, disseminate the information that they deemed they wanted to publish, uh, acceptable to their culture and their organization. So there is a great deal of concern among Americans today, probably uh, many so with you as well. I mean, so much so you have Elon Musk purchasing Twitter under the principle of freedom of speech for $44 billion dollars. If you do not think censorship is an issue today, uh, you are mistaken. It is a very big issue, so much so that uh, you have uh, these uh, kind of a, a seeking to, to recover uh, Twitter so that it can be free speech, that anybody can post whatever they want uh, to certain limitations that uh, can uh, oppose one another or dialogue. I think the church needs to learn how to dialogue uh, and have conversations uh, despite any uh, uh, opposition or uh, different contrary ideas. Christians need to be able to do that. Um, what we're going to see, though, as a um, follower of Jesus Christ, starting back at the time of Jesus, that following Jesus will cost you something. It will... It will uh, Many will make a decision, what we're going to see in John chapter 6 today, to start walking away from Jesus because his teaching is just too controversial. The things that he has to say are just too offensive. Um, stick with me over the next few weeks. You'll see how this all plays out. Today you're going to get an overview of the theme in John chapter 6, and then I'm going to give you some points uh, to, I think, that we as a church uh, perhaps have missed uh, not necessarily this church, but the church in America, and something that Jesus had that we have missed. So let's jump into the text, John chapter 6, verses 41 through 50. I would encourage you uh, to open your own Bible because a lot of the verses I'll quote or look to won't be on the screen, so open your own Bible on your digital device if you have one or your hard copy. 
If you would like the Gospel of John, like a scripture journal, we have some in the back that you could pick up. I think this is uh, probably message 25, 26, 27, 28 of teaching through the Gospel of John um, that I've taught. So we're going to be in it a while. This will be a three-week mini-series with the theme of censorship, cancel culture, and Jesus. So I want to encourage you to do that. Um, So let me give you a review of what's happened in John chapter 6. Many of you remember, uh, if you're looking in your own scripture, you see the feeding of the 5,000. It was 5,000 men, perhaps uh, 15, 20,000 men, women, and children. So Jesus is notorious. He's uh, very popular. And then the things that he says create controversy. He said that uh, he fed them bread and he fed them uh, fish and a, a massive miracle. And he then said he was the bread of life, in a sense, claiming deity. And so we pick up in verse 41. It says, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, help me out, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Uh, Jesus was uh, clearly communicating that he had divine uh, authority, that he was uh, God's uh, uh, son in all throughout the scriptures leading up to this point. We see that that Jesus is claiming deity, and this becomes very offensive. Um, The Jews were anticipating a Messiah, just Jesus was not their guy. So, uh, verse 42, this is what they said. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How how, How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Uh, In the beginning of the Gospel of John and throughout the Gospels, we see the public... uh, uh, announcement of Jesus's ministry uh, at the baptism of uh, when Jesus is baptized with uh, John the Baptist and we see his ministry unfold. We are capturing and seeing in the gospel of John a three-year ministry of Jesus Christ and uh, his public ministry began and now it's picked up steam and he's incredibly popular and influential and you and I know the more influential you get perhaps the more controversial you get. Jesus is very controversial at this point, and they're pointing to the fact that he cannot be God because they know his dad. Joseph's a carpenter, and they're thinking, this is just a regular guy, uh, some Nazarene guy, you know, who grew up under Joseph. He's a carpenter, Mary, you know, sweet gal, but this is not a God. And so they're pointing to the reality um, that Jesus did grow up uh, underneath uh, Joseph, which would have been his adoptive dad, not his biological dad. His, his, uh, his father is God the Father, and it was a supernatural birth. So they're beginning to have problems about Jesus and his divinity. Uh, verse 43, Jesus is going to confront them and confound them. Verse 43, Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him Notice that. Jesus says, basically, nobody can come to me unless the Father does something. What does it say that the Father has to do? Draw him. Draw them. Draw him. And then it says, in, continuing on in the verse, and I will ra- raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. There's two little phrases I just want to point out to you right there. Again, it highlights uh, what happens in salvation. And uh, one is that word draw that we had saw, saw earlier. 
And then that word that means come. And so earlier, if you will, you can look back in uh, verse 37. Uh, now I'm not going to have this on the screen and I ask that you look in your own Bible. Um, what we're seeing is this uh, tension between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Does the Father draw people to himself? Yes. Do people come to Jesus uh, by their own choice? Yes. Uh, human responsibility and God's sovereignty? Uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon was asked one time, how do you reconcile human responsibility and God's sovereignty and salvation? His response was, I don't. I don't reconcile two friends. Um, we don't have to understand everything uh, perfectly from a human perspective to make it for it to be true. What we're going to see in salvation is, and this becomes controversial for Jesus' followers, is from God's perspective, he does the saving. He's the one who makes the act. Uh, from man's perspective, we come to Jesus. We say the prayer. We come to church. We open the Bible. Uh, can both be true? They can. And we'll see in Scripture uh, that truth being played out. And then the controversy, the offensiveness of that and the result of. Verse 37, you need to look in your own Scripture. There it says, all that the Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. So Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And we sang about that truth just a few minutes ago. Um, and so as a result of this reality, there is the tension that there is this idea that in salvation, there is two truths that are at play for every person who is a Christian. One is the reality that God's sovereign plan is, is to draw people unto himself, uh, commissioning the Holy Spirit to awaken the spiritually dead to make a response to faith in Jesus Christ because the Bible says that everybody is spiritually dead and lost. So God the Father, the Bible tells us in God's sovereignty, he has a plan to reconcile and redeem a great multitude of guilty sinners in all the world. And then many Christians and people, followers of Jesus, get very frustrated with that idea and say, no, 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 I chose to follow Jesus Christ. The Bible says that, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. The Bible says, pray and confess that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So I did it. Okay, I would argue both are true. Let's imagine we go to heaven and uh, we see the big pearly gates and on the gate as you're approaching the scripture says, so come to me, all you who are weary, and enter into your heavenly rest. And you would say, yes, this is awesome. Yes, I'm coming, Lord. And then you turn around and you look back at the gate and it says, um, you were predestined before the foundations of the earth in Christ to be here. There are two truths at play, the sovereignty of God and human responsibility in salvation. And this creates a significant deal of controversy, of uh, many other controversies that Jesus will face. Um, so let me just show you the rest of the passage, if you will. You can look in your Bible. Verse 64, jumping down towards the end of the uh, chapter of John, chapter 6, which we're going to be covering over this next few weeks, and watch the fallout of that truth. The controversy. Verse 64, it says, Jesus says, but there are some of you who do not believe. Right? Well, some people believe, some people don't believe. And then uh, John writes this comment. He says, For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe 
and who it was who would betray him. So Jesus is uh, all-knowing. He knows everything. He continues on, and it says, and he said, Jesus says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by, my, by the Father. So the Father's at work in this. He's predestining, according to Ephesians, in uh, uh, Christ. He's predestining. He's planning people to come to faith in him. He's spiritually uh, awakening them through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's drawing them to himself. This is all biblical language, which is controversial. Verse 66 after, look in your Bible, after this, many of his disciples turned back. Uh, uh, uh. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Why? Because they were, they were insulted. Wait a second. You're saying God the Father draws me? No, it's my choice. Well, from a human perspective, it is your choice. But from God's perspective, it's his choice. You have to ask yourself the question, who makes the first move? So, uh, again, it, verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back, no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, watch this, do you want to go as well? You want to leave too? This would be a good time. He's like, a lot, there are a lot of people aren't following me anymore because they're mad at what I'm teaching. Is, you know, look at the crowds. They're walking out the door. Then he says, you want to go too? This is your, your shot. Go ahead. There's a sifting going on. This sifting is going on not only in Jesus' day, it's going on in our day. The second we hear something offensive or people hear something offensive, people are just walking out the door. We're being censored on what to say, what is right, what is wrong. Anything that we say uh, is uh, accepted or rejected and there's an intensity. What I think is happening is there's a COVID was the big shakeup for the churches all around the country. And then Christians started going, wait a second, what's going on? And then all the political hot mess that we've been in. And then we're seeing all the censorship and people are being so easily offended over anything. And Jesus faced this. There was theological debate, but it, you know, next week you'll see more. I'll, I'll teach you more about some of the challenges. But let's just finish out the passage and I'll give you some points to follow what American Christians need to know, need now more than ever, what Jesus had and today's church is missing. But let's finish out verse 46. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. That's a great message. That is the gospel message. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that helped me out that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is true. But it's also true that God is at work in drawing people unto himself. Verse 48, Jesus says, clear identity, say, I am, help me out. Verse 48, I am the bread of, he's the bread of life. This is deeply insulting. Jesus even pushes, uh, pokes the bear here, right here. The Jewish folks uh, love Moses, and Jesus makes a Moses quote. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. He's talking about Moses. They would have known that. They were Old Testament the theologians. He said, and they died. Then he says, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Jesus is the bread of life. And so, what are three things that we need to know 
perhaps that Jesus knew and the church is missing today. Number one is identity. Jesus had a very clear identity. I am the bread of life. That's what he said. Jesus knew exactly who he was. Uh, He was not ashamed to share who he was. It was offensive and would get him crucified. The Jews would ultimately say, you're claiming to be Messiah, you're going to the cross because you're self-identifying as the Messiah. Now let's get Rome involved because you're claiming a king. You're not a king. Let's get Rome involved. Let's get capital punishment. Let's get the cross. Why? Because Jesus' identity was clear. What does that mean for us? It means that you and I need to have a very strong identity as a Christian. I'm concerned that we have an identity crisis in our culture today. Can I get an amen? People don't know if they're male or female. I mean, it's that basic. Uh, many, Many of you perhaps are confused about your identity. Let me give you good news. The Bible says very clearly that God made you in his image. He made a male and he made a female and you're precious in his sight. That femininity should be cherished and appreciated. That masculinity should be cherished and appreciated. God doesn't make mistakes. That's how he made us. And the Bible tells us that every person on the planet is loved and cherished. They are the imago Dei. That means made in the image of God. Even if they choose to reject him, they're still made in his image. However, what we've done in our culture is said, well, I don't like male. I want to be female. So now let's blend the two. That's confusing. That's an identity crisis. And then we have gender dysphoria and people don't know who they are. And this is why we have skyrocketing uh, teenage suicide. And this is our school systems are pumping out this stuff. And there's an identity crisis. Furthermore, beyond gender, there's an identity crisis of the believer. They don't really see who they are. If what Jesus had that the church is missing is a very clear sense of who they are, who, who their, ident- their identity. The Bible says that you're made in God's image. The Bible says you're complete in Christ. The Bible says that you're God's child. The Bible says you're the bride of Christ, that you're his workmanship. You're created for good works. You're his witness in the world. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You're a light to the world. You're salt of the earth. You're adopted into God's family. You're a citizen of heaven, a soldier of the Lord. You're the unstoppable church. That's who you are. That's powerful. When you Listen, when you know your identity... That determines your activity. If you do not know your identity, you're confused about your activity. The clearer you are on who you are, the clearer you are on what you do. Your beliefs always determine your behavior. When you know who you are, you know what to do. If you do not know who you are, then you do not know what to do. If you're confused about your identity, then you're confused about your activity. If you're confused about your beliefs, then you're confused about your behaviors. Does that make sense? Jesus knew who he was. He's trying to convince others to know the same. Let me remind you of who you are in Christ. The Bible says you're a citizen of heaven. You're a citizen of the United States of America. Most of you are. Or a citizen of some other country. Uh, But the Bible says of Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to remember that. You're a citizen. You have an allegiance to God the Father above any other allegiance. You have an eternal citizenship. Your eyes should be focused on heaven. You need to remember that this is your eternal place. The Bible says that every person has a soul, lives on forever. This place, we're just, we're passing through for a time period. 
And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. You're a citizen of heaven. Know your identity. Also know that your influence of your identity. Jesus said this. He said that in Matthew 5, 13 through 14, the greatest sermon ever, he said that you're salt of the earth, that you're light of the world, you're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. What does that mean? What that means, ladies and gentlemen, that salt is a preservative. You're to preserve and promote truth. Salt also draws out the flavor when you want that steak to pop and you want those flavors, you pour a little salt on it, tastes great. Yeah. I, I, Jesus was a meat eater, okay? So he caught fish and cooked it for him multiple times. I tell people that are vegans, I'm like, well, Jesus wasn't, so I'm not, okay? But I'm down with vegetables, lots of them, you know? But my point in saying is that you're salt of the earth. You're to promote, you're to preserve truth. This is what church councils and creeds have done through the beginning of church histories. They understood they had a role to play in society to preserve and to promote truth. That's why the councils and creeds existed. Preserve and promote. You are salt. You are light. That, that's who you are. So your identity should determine your activity. What does light do? Light shines. Light penetrates the darkness. Light is not afraid of the darkness because light is stronger than the darkness. You are salt and light. And look at this. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. What that means is, is the role of the Christian is to have such a, not just an individualistic impact, but a corporate, a city is a lot of people. This is believers, lots of believers. The world is bringing light through the Christians. The Christians are the light of the world. Jesus is the ultimate light of the world. But the church, the Christians are light of the world. Whoa, hallelujah, amen, amen. So you have a role to play. Number one, know your identity. Number two, understand your authority. Jesus said um, in Matthew 28, I'm not going to go there on the screen, but Jesus said in the Great Commission, he says, listen to this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's what he says. Then we see in the Gospels as well, Luke chapter 10, verse 19, uh, Jesus says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. What does that mean? Ladies and gentlemen, what that means is, is that you have a spiritual authority that is stronger than the power of sin, stronger than the power of uh, uh, Satan, stronger than any demonic force that could come against you. The Bible tells us that our war is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and supernatural powers of darkness. And you have been given, the word is in the Greek, exousia. And it means a supernatural power. The power that you have is not natural. The power that you have, according to Scripture, is supernatural. Jesus gave this to his followers, all that believe in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Colossians that you're complete in Jesus Christ. That the power of him who was raised from the dead lives in you, and that power is stronger and can overcome any other spiritual force of darkness. So understand your power and understand your authority. So let's just jump. We're going to 
Um, actually, let me, let me back up and I'll go through this power. I think uh, the early disciples had a very clear understanding of their power and their authority. We'll get to that in just a second. Um, so here we go. Look at Acts chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. It's uh, the, the disciples, or the apostles are now um, being uh, censored. They're being in trouble because they're preaching about Jesus. They're being shut down. They've been arrested, interrogated. And this is what happens. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak of, uh, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. What was going on? A couple things were going on. Is One is, is that there is a sense that they have a stronger uh, sense of power and authority that is in Jesus. They understood their citizenship was in heaven. They understand that they answer to God and they're going to continue to speak and teach and speak up and not be, if they're censored, so be it. Somebody said to me after the first service, Ryan, what you're saying could get you in trouble. And they said, maybe what if you were arrested for speaking out against some of this stuff? I said, well, then great. I'd start a prison ministry. That's fine. You know, um, this is what I'd be following in the footsteps of the great leaders before me. I mean, this is the role of the Christian is who cares about controversy? Speak up about truth. Don't be afraid. The, the strategy of the enemy is to silence the witness. The strategy of Satan in your life is to get you to shut up. The, the strategy of Satan and demons is to make you afraid. The strategy of the enemy is to keep the name of Jesus out. The strategy that is going on right now in American culture is to silence Judeo-Christian ideas. There's more than going on than just flesh and blood. It's a supernatural attack in a sense too. But you have a power, ladies and gentlemen. Romans 1.16, there's power in the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You believe? You've got the power. You've got the power of God in your life. That Greek word is dynamis. It is the power. It's the demonstration of display of divine supernatural ability. God wants his church to be powerful. God wants you to be powerful. Not in your power, his power. He wants you to experience a power from upon high. He gives power to his followers, the Apostle Paul understood this. And some were exercising power with great authority. Some were not. He says this, 2 Corinthians 10.4. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. You know what's different about this word power? The word is dinatos, and it means a supernatural power that's available or possible, depending on that you cooperate with it in a sense. Like, you need to exercise your power. So, I think of authority and power with a very unique relationship. If you have authority without power, it's like you have a badge, but uh, without a gun. If you have power without authority, it's like a gun without a badge. And the Lord gives you power and authority as a believer. You have power and you have authority. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul encouraged uh, his protege, Timothy. Look at this. It says this, For God gave us, 1 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of, what? Fear. Do you see a lot of afraid people today? There's a spirit of fear at work. Afraid of what? Being offensive. 
being a bigot, being called hate speech. That's what's going on. We're afraid. We're afraid. We're afraid. But the Bible says that God gave us a spirit, not of fear, ladies and gentlemen, but of power, dynamis, and love and self-control. So much packed in there. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we need power, but we need love. Love all people. Love the person that completely disagrees with you. Love that person. That's the whole parable of the Good Samaritan. Love the people that completely offend you. Love the people. Self-control. Don't act like an idiot and go fight everybody you see that doesn't agree with you. You need to demonstrate your power with love and self-control. God didn't give you a spirit of fear. If you're afraid, you shouldn't be afraid. You should be strong, filled with faith. You can be concerned, but you don't need to go crazy. You need to realize that as a Christian, you will be censored. You need to be realized as a, as a Christian, your ideas are increasingly so in the world around us is labeled offensive. Hate speech. So what? Let's keep speaking out. Let's keep speaking up. So here's a call to moms. I'm calling for uh, that we as a church would form a Christian's moms club. Um, that would integrate into the public school system and visit the board meetings, visit uh, and influence our uh, Deer Valley Unified School District. Um, I know the superintendent personally, and I know uh, the principal um, over at Sandra Day O'Connor uh, personally. Both of those men, to my knowledge, are good godly men. And um, they would agree with me that some of the things that are being taught in our school system are absolutely antithetical to the Bible. They don't have power and authority to change it. Who does? The board. What's being taught in our school system? Not at every level, but I'll just testify to what's happening in the upper levels of high school, specifically, I'll say juniors, over at Sandra Day O'Connor, under the leadership of Dr. Lynn Miller, whom I know is a Christian, loves Jesus, loves the Bible, but he's saying he can't control what's being taught. In the sociology department, um, they are teaching, um, the, that's an elective, I'll have to make mention of that, that's an elective. Um, in the sociology department, they're teaching that gender is neutral, gender is fluid, and they're calling it a new socio-construct, which is very cool in today's time, and that a new socio-construct means that you can change your gender at any point in time. Gender is related to a, a, a level of thinking. It is a state of mind. Gender is a state of mind. And that it does not correspond with your biological makeup. So they're teaching the new socio-construct within the school. They went way too far, and this is where I got involved, where they began to assign students extra credit to gender swap the next day. Let me say that again. So your kid goes to this sociology class, they're being told they can switch their gender at any point in time, regardless of their biological makeup, regardless of what the biology class says down the hallway, they are told gender is fluid. And this is a new socio-construct that we have missed in our academic endeavors because so many people have been oppressing us, i.e. Judeo-Christians. So therefore, we're going to enlighten you and we're going to free you from all the, the, the uh, prejudiced socio-constructs that are out there. This is a new socio-construct and it doesn't even make sense. I know you're a boy, but today, tomorrow, you'd be a girl. This is what is being taught. 
and then they're incentivizing it and telling the kids, come the next day as a different gender and you get extra credit. If that's not troubling to you, you don't know the Bible. If that's not troubling to you, to me, you don't even pay attention to basic biology. Um, that is very troubling because let me tell you, I'm the one who counsels the families of the kids that gender swap and they have the highest rates of depression and suicide. I'm the one who deals with a lot of this stuff helping you all and your kids because they're being brainwashed. Indoctrination. What's going on? I believe that Satan is attacked to crush the identity of every person on the planet. I believe that Satan is influencing a deep confusion. And it's being unfolded into our academic system. It's already been in the universities. You don't need me to lecture on that. But you do need to be aware. So what am I asking? I'm asking that moms would get involved in the public school system. Because as a Christian, you got two options. Leave, get out of there. Leave the public school system. This is why, news alert, this is why every private school in Arizona is booming. This is why you have the Christian schools with waiting lists. Why? Because Christians are saying, we're out of here, man. This is ridiculous. So that is an option, and, and I applaud that. But here's another option, okay? Stay. Don't give up the ground. Stay. Fight. For basic concepts of truth, that are consistent with biology, or at least, here's my opinion, or at least if you're going to teach a new socio-construct and the advantages of same-sex marriage, why not teach the same uh, ideas with a heterosexual relationship with a male-female marriage and the benefits and the blessings of being heterosexual? Why not both? I mean, I'd, I'd go so far, and it, it's always losing ground, but if we're going to teach evolution, what if we taught also a creation theory or at least an intelligent designer theory, okay? So how do we influence? When Jesus said you're a city on a hill, do you know what that meant? That means that the church is a large group of people that's to shine light from a hill, the hills of heaven, down on earth to bring light to the darkness, that you and I are called salt, you and I are called light, and we're supposed to be identity, supposed to be social and moral, spiritual influencers. So how do we do that? They would tell me, the principal and the superintendent would say, you have to be involved with the board. We need Christian men and women from the district, uh, within the district, to get on the board. And just speak up. Don't be an idiot. Don't be rude. Listen, but create rational arguments and objections and slow down the process. Supposedly this summer, they're supposed to unveil all of their new socio-construct within the curriculum. At least I was told that. And for further clarification within Sandra Day O'Connor specifically, they acknowledge that assigning extra credit was not right, and they will not do that anymore. So, you guys, we should applaud that. That's a good move, okay? I mean, you know, and my response was, well, did you assign any extra credit for anything else? And they said, no. And then I asked the teacher, are you a parent? She said, no. I said, sociology department man, are you a parent? No. Figures.
It's big deal, guys. So here we go. Another point for moms. Encourage the younger generation to consider becoming teachers, professors, pastors, judges, and lawyers. I pray that our church would commission a great deal of young people that would be in the universities, at the school systems, and just being salt and light. Because you got two options, Christian. You have the option just leave and run from the culture or to stay in it. So I know, I get it. I hear you all say, well, you know, I'm, I'm in the world, but not of the world. Yeah, you are not of the world, but you're still in the world. So what if, just what if, what if a huge generation of Christians today decided to go into the public school system, decided to go into the public universities and go into the churches and preserve, promote truth and be a light and in the, as a judge or a lawyer? Woo! That's, I'm just saying, I, I don't think we can save the world. Jesus is the Savior. But I do know that we're called to something. The Bible says you were created in Christ Jesus for good what? Works. Let's go do something. Okay? Here's another one. Train our children to be moral and spiritual leaders. This is big. The Christian life is not a playground. The Christian life is a battlefield. The Christian life is not a playground. It is a battlefield. Train your kids, moms. Train your kids, dads. Train younger generation youth worker to be tough. To realize they're going to offend. That's just part of the game. That's just part of the deal. But be intelligent and seek to be a leader. I've said it like this. You can choose at this church to be a shepherd, a sheep, or a wolf. My prayer is you'd be a shepherd. Help other people. Guide them. Encourage them. Challenge them. But the shepherd has a staff, and that staff is authority. Use your authority. Use your power. That's who you are in Christ Jesus. You're called to be a moral and spiritual leader. Let's train our children to be the same way. And lastly, but not least, I just say let's enlist the help of godly fathers and mentor fathers. You can just watch the news and you can read the, the coming times. We're going to have more kids in the foster care system, more uh, um, unwanted children in our society. We're going to have uh, more and more of families breaking up and a huge uh, tsunami of children without fathers. At this church, we have what's called mentor fathers. It's the greatest thing ever. I'm so proud of our men that are choosing to do that. Be godly men, father, mentors to these people. But mom, I'm asking you, enlist the help of godly fathers and mentor fathers in this effort to be social and moral, spiritual influence in our society today. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the work done here today in the scriptures and in our hearts. I pray that you'd make sense of this and translate it to action. Our beliefs determine our behavior. Our identity determines our activity. I pray, Lord, that we would be identified with you. You're the great God. You're the wonderful Savior. You're the power from on high. And today we identify, submit to you. We ask and rest in your power, not our own. And we ask that you would use us for a great deal of good to come Give us the, uh, the uh, challenge, Lord. Help us to be full of love and full of truth. We pray that we would not ever miss that. In Jesus' name, everybody said.
Amen. Hey, I want to thank you uh, for all of you who give financially to our church. Uh, you're making a difference. As you're going out this summer and going on vacations and taking time off, I hope you do get some time away from the great heat in the valley this summer. But I ask that you be a faithful giver uh, to the church so that remember when you're gone, there's still great ministry happening all throughout the summer. So I want to encourage you to get online and give regularly if you're not already doing that. And that helps our church move forward. Let's continue to worship. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.